The following is a KPV MediaWorks production. Choose your fighter. Welcome to another episode of KPB Cast, guys. With me today, I have a guy who's uh, going to be basically leading the generation forward of Mostic uh, creators, or I believe he has the contract for it. We're going to get to that. We have Jonathan Thompson of Scanline City. Jonathan, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. I know, man. I'm really, really excited to have you on here. And guys, before we go on, you know the podcast could be found on a lot of platforms. You know, just go into your favorite platforms such as uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and just type in KPB. And, you know, you'll have all the goodness to this podcast available. Also want to thank Acquire um, Clothing. Um, they, uh, they're a sponsor of the show as well as Soltamia um, Artwork. She's pretty cool, guys. You know, look her up on Twitter. She will create anything for you. For you, she's a really, really, you know, talented artist, and we appreciate you know her help. So, Jonathan, man, again, once again, thank you very much for being on this show. And like with every show that I start off with, um, we want to know your background, man. What's the earliest memory of gaming that you have? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I grew up with kind of a hand-me-down NES. I played the heck out of that, you know, Contra, Mario, all, you know, all the classics. So loved my NES. And then I kind of went the Sega route after that, you know, got my Genesis and, and so on. But, um, but I was definitely an arcade guy too, you know? Uh, I mean, I was still pretty young cause I'm 30, how old am I now? 35, I'm 35. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, you start, you stop counting kind of after 30, I guess. So, um, and, uh, you know, so I was, some of my favorite memories were in the arcades, you know, going to the, you know, the pizza parlor or something with, you know, and asking my dad for quarters, you know, and, and playing Samurai Showdown 2 and uh, Street Fighter and all that. So yeah, Samurai Showdown 2, that's possibly my favorite fighter of all time. That, that, that oh game my gosh. so amazing. Jesus. Oh, it was, it's still so amazing. It's still fun to play today. Yes. You yes, know, it is. It's still Let so much Let me ask you fun. this. I mean, like you said, you basically have a lot of the same stuff everybody on here has, you know, Nintendo, mm-hmm. Genesis, yep. all that good mm-hmm. stuff. So did you start your quote unquote gaming career at the console at home before you started moving on to arcades? Because you're 35 years old, I'm 38. So we were mm-hmm. right around that time when I don't want to say I don't know if arcades were at the top of their game, but obviously we saw, you know, the highest of highs and right before right. they died down. So Correct. were you first exposed to to video games at home in the console or did you happen to just pass by a bodega a pizzeria and you saw an arcade machine so what which one was it man i don't know i it would be really hard for me to remember because hmm i think it was probably the original nintendo i think that that was probably my introduction to video games but it wasn't soon it was pretty soon after that where i was seeing I don't even know what some of the first games were, but it was probably a lot of those beat em ups, you know, a lot of those early beat em ups, like the, the Robocop and golden ax and all those kind of, and I think what appealed to me so much about that was that I was such a huge fan of those movies or not golden ax, obviously, but like Robocop terminator, all those things. And you would see that in the arcade. And I think that's what just kind of hooked me into 
the the arcade even though i think nes was probably my first experience but even at that young age i do remember going like wait a second why are the graphics so good in the arcade you know then you bring it home i remember like ninja turtles i remember coming home and like <laughs> yeah, get, right. you know you, you get that game and you're like wait a second like this doesn't this doesn't look like the arcade i still loved it anyway right but now you know what's you funny know. you bring that up man and i had a few guests who had who have said it. it it really it really was like it, it was funny looking at back at it now just the disparity in in, in graphics you right. know it's uh like, like you said robocop you play it at the arcade and it's like yeah man this is freaking awesome look so at that good and then you go home and you play a nintendo and you know we're kids at the time it's like yeah even then it's like man what if what a difference what's going on here yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah exactly so you know you said it was hand in hand though because i remember the the beginning and like the peak when i was really getting into games was probably around the time of, you know, like Mortal Kombat 1. And I remember, you know, seeing that in the arcade and then being so excited to get that, you know, on the Sega Genesis, right? So, and, and in my opinion, I mean, that was like, I, I still, I would consider that the the golden age of, of arcades was around that Mortal Kombat 1, 2, you know, where the arcades were still supreme for sure compared to the console but you could still take it home and play it as a kid and talk amongst your friends about it you know like that was that was such a cool cool time no man i i know what you mean man it's uh it it was always cool to me it's like okay there's two trains of thought here you go home you know after a hard after a hard day at school or, or whatever you go home you get to play super mario brothers you know nintendo lots of fun genesis lots of fun but at the same time you had the option to go out right. because arcade machines were all over the place. You're, you're very well versed yeah, exactly. in that. And oh, yeah. like, you know, for a lot of the guys on here, uh, summoning being an old, an old arcade head was obviously a lot of the, a lot of the music, you know, these, these, oh, these yeah. machines were just like right in your face. You know, oh, a, a lot of the guys just loved that. The fact that you could go home, turn on the Nintendo, but it's like, you know what, today's a Saturday. I'm going to go hang out with the homies, you know, playing down yep. at the arcade. Oh, yeah. And you're right, man, that, that was it. I didn't really think much about it because I just love the arcade scene in general, but that really was the best of times because us oh, yeah. as, us as, you know, the kids growing up, we had the best of both worlds. Oh, I think so. And I, man, I remember just thinking, even on Samurai Showdown 2, just thinking when I was a young kid, seeing like, you know, the high schoolers, you know, playing Samurai Showdown 2 <laughs> and being like intimidated, you know, and then, but I would like beat them sometimes, right? And, uh, oh man, I just, but I remember being so nervous. It was like going up to, like up to bat for a major league team, just being so nervous to try and play somebody, get my chance. Yeah, so fun. Have you lived in the West Coast your whole life? Yeah, I grew up in Washington State, uh, just outside of Seattle. And then, um, you know, I'm in the film business, or I, I own a film production company. So that's why uh, then I had to come to California, and that's where I am today. Oh, very cool, man. Um, can you give us a little idea what the Washington um, arcade scene was like where you lived? Because, you know, obviously here in New York, I mean, you couldn't escape it. We had Desmond on from, uh, he lives in the Twin Cities, St. Paul, Minnesota, to be exact. 
mm-hmm. it was the same thing with him. You know, it just you couldn't escape it. Uh, their scene wasn't as big as the New York scene, and I believe you're one of the first people that I've had on this show. At least my mm-hmm. uh, co-host. I believe my co-host he had somebody on from um, out in the West Coast, but I believe you're my first West Coast um, player. Can you give us a little mm-hmm. feedback on you know how how that scene was growing up? Oh man, I honestly I think this in, in I spent a decent amount of time in California though at that same time and that that was such a hotter scene was in the you know anywhere in California Orange County, LA, you know that was such a more vibrant scene in Seattle it was uh I would say much more casual, a little bit more underground I would say compared to any of the times I was ever in California it was much more of a competitive scene, you know, where you'd have like the candy cabs lined up and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it was just much more competitive. Was scene. it just because Seattle's more of a laid back city compared to other places in California? I mean, it, it, it could be, I don't, I, I don't know. It could be, I, I think a lot of stuff in, in Seattle, it tends to be very underground. You just think about some of the music and stuff that's come out of there. Oh, of course, of course. You know, everything's, everything's, yeah, it's a lot more like underground and maybe I just wasn't uh, well versed in that and where to find it in the, you know, the arcade scene. But because honestly, most of the popular places ended up just being, you know, pizza places or some of those kind of like family fun centers and stuff like that. Right. Like that, whereas like you'd, you'd have all the kids there, but there would still be a lot of, you know, a lot of serious players that would come into the, some of those areas. So but nothing to me was like California was at the time. So, um, you know, well, let's uh, let's explain to our um, our listeners here. I mean, let's hear it from you. You know, you went from Seattle, like you said, very low key, very underground. And Mm -hmm. um, I've never been out to California. I've never experienced the uh, FGC out there or the competitive arcade scene back then. But Mm -hmm. you, you, you tell us, man, I'm sure it was a different world for you. It's like, wow. I mean, these guys take it a heck of a lot more serious than we did oh, back yeah. in Seattle. Take us through that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it just in my recent time with the with the Mostic and stuff, I got to know John Choi and Alex Valle and some of those guys. And the, you know, those are some some of the OG players from you oh, know. Yeah, man. There's uh, some of the pil- there's some of the pillars from that er- uh, part of the country. Oh, I mean, th- big those time. guys have been around forever. Oh, they, I mean, yeah, they were kind of the, the OG players of, of, of Street Fighter and whatnot. So I actually get the most enjoyment talking to them because, you know, I would always go to arcades for fun. You know, it, I just I just loved the environment or you go there with your friends and sure, you'd, it'd be competitive. But it was nothing like talking with those guys where it's it's serious business and it was a much more it was a much different scene it was and it wasn't like nowadays where you can fight the best player online it was like oh no you got to go over to this arcade because we hear that you know this there's a top player over at this arcade and it was it was like two gangs meeting right it's like this arcade (laughs) this arcade has this best player can he beat the best player at this arcade and uh you know i was never a part of that kind of thing but just talking with those guys it's it's so fascinating and it makes me think like, man, that's, that must have been such an awesome time to be a player because you had to face somebody face to face, you know, like you had to play them on the same cap. And like, to me, that's the special part of arcades in general. I know what you mean. Um, one of the guys we had on here one time, it's always the same story, isn't it? You're the best at your pizza place. You're the best at your laundry mm-hmm. man. You're the best at mm-hmm. home. But then it's like, well, you know, if you're really that good, 
you got to go check out this little group right here, man. Yeah. He's like, okay, yeah. well, come on. I got my quarters ready. Yeah, but exactly. Let's go check it out. You go in there and you get perfected like 30 times in a row. Oh, yeah. And and it's like, but but we're, but I'm the best. What, what happened yeah. here? Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and, and that's the story of all over the place, man. Like, I, again, mm. I've talked to so many people here and it's the same story. It's like eventually you're going to have to adjust to because – some some of these guys and remember, um, folks, we're we're talking about the 1990s. There was like the the internet wasn't even around, no. you know. It was just pockets of players that were able to just somehow, you know, just know everything. I mean, now mind you, it cost a lot of money because um, yeah. you, you know, you're feeding these machines. These machines were not free play, but it, it's just they were able to take it to a next level. And you, like you said, you you were more of a casual player. And just seeing this, it must have been so amazing because it's like, wow. I mean, I know some people take things competitively, but these guys, they may as well be able to read your mind or something. You get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. I mean, it always fascinates me to think about those times not having the internet. Because I'm like, how did you even, you know, like just take Mortal Kombat, for example. It's like, how would you even have figured out certain fatality moves? Like, it was all word of mouth. It was like, you know, somebody would have to tell you how to do certain move lists. And, you know, like, it's just like, this is so much different than nowadays. No, I know Um, what you mean, man. I mean, everybody had access to EGM, Electronic Gaming Monthly. Mm -hmm, We had mm -hmm. access to GamePro. Everybody was reading the same things. But again, it's just this one group of players, these pockets of players who were able to take it to the next level because they were that dedicated. I mean, you know, you say you have a little bit of a relationship with them. What kind of Mm -hmm. stories have you gotten from Alex Vier or John Choi? Because, again, those guys have been around so forever. You know, like, are are, are you like a sponge when you talk to them, just taking this all in? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, a lot of my talks with them had to do with the Moss stick in general. And really learning the backstory of how the Moss came about. And a lot of what I talked to them about was that, you know, they grew up obviously in, in the arcade, you know, that's how they perfected their craft was, was playing on the big American bat tops, hat buttons and whatnot. That's right. You know, and they got to walk me through the events when, okay, now they have to start playing on consoles you know, well, like when kind of probably around the time, like PS2, Dreamcast, or even PlayStation, whatnot, right? So they, they started right. to use those in some of the tournaments, and they're having to use arcade sticks that are nothing like the American Cavs. And they're going, even like Alex Valle says, he was he was almost ready to quit because he just couldn't win. He just, he just, it felt so foreign to him. But that's where the Moss stick kind of came in when they heard about that somebody was making these and they got one. Like that's, in some ways, kind of what elevated their game back up because they felt comfortable because it felt just like playing on, you know, how they grew up playing on the American arcades. Oh, man, God, so. God bless the creators of the Mostics because, yeah, uh, yeah uh, we'll get to them a little bit later. But uh, on, on that that may have been one of the best low-key, one of the best video game invention accessories that, you know, was around. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, when the consoles finally caught up to the arcade machines and everybody, I'm sure it was a big relief to some of these guys because, I mean, hauling around arcade machines, uh, not, yeah. not, a, not fun. So being mm-hmm. able to basically mimic the bat top, the hat buttons, you know, just, uh, just mm-hmm. that environment. It, it, it like you said for Choi Valle and all those guys, even a lot of people here like Sanford and Yipes, that was the arcade mm-hmm. stick. Justin Wong is on record of saying that's possibly his favorite arcade stick of all time because, okay, arcades are dying, 
And like you said, a lot of it is foreign to a lot of players now because of the Japanese stuff and also, you know, very low-grade quality stuff that came out from other companies. But now you have this thing and they're able to, you know, relive the glory days, but now on console, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I did hear a lot of other stories that I think are interesting. Well, a lot of it comes down between the two of them is, you know, we all love, we all get into this because we love playing video games. You know, we, we love right right love playing but for them and that's why they did as well but they both got to talk a little about how at a certain point it just becomes almost not it, it's easy to make it not fun anymore right because it's so serious and you have to play all the time and staying up with everything it's uh it can be overbearing i think and i mean that probably goes for any perfect you know if you like get to the point where you're gonna become you know full-time professional at it but it's tricky, right? When it's um, uh, something that was, was your passion that you do for fun and then it becomes your job. Well, the, the thing that helped them is that they they both have very professional attitudes about things. It's uh, very right. easy to uh, be a gamer and be very cynical, be very negative, be, uh, you know, but they they were able to survive as long as they have. Now, I don't know them, you know, I like I, I don't mm-hmm. leave fret of them, but they just seem to mm-hmm. be. A heck of a lot more professional compared to a lot of their peers. But oh, yeah, uh, sure. let me ask, let me ask you this, man. Um, you said it yourself. You took arcades a little bit casually. You know, you meet these guys and you see the competitive side of things. Did did that ignite a little bit for you to try to be more competitive in the games, or did you still take them just as casual? No, just I would say I would still say just as casual because honestly, I I love I love the FGC. I love. I love a lot of the games that they represent, but honestly, I, I think I'm, I'm a little too interested in too many topics to commit to being competitive. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. I, like, get what I, you mean. <laughs> like I could play, I, I could just suddenly start to play all week, just doing shmups and be super excited about it and love it, you know? And then the following week I want to do something else. And that's just what I like. I don't think I could ever be too committed to any genre, honestly. Yeah, I um, think yeah. a lot of I think a lot of us in the FGC forget about that that you know we're we're gamers first competitiveness you know only a certain amount of players take it to the next level like me um, right. you know the only times I've ever been competitive when it comes to fighting games it was mainly for two games Mortal Kombat Nine um, you know which revitalized that series very very well. And right. then, um, and um, what is the uh, Garou Mark of the Wolves? But everything else, I, I'm sort of like you, you know. I was the best in my pizzeria. I went down to Chinatown Fair. I enjoyed my time there, but it's just I just told myself this is not something I could do all the time. I, you know, right. I like my mind is all over the place. I love playing video games as a hobby, as a you know a pastime just to get away. Like I love baseball. Mm-hmm. It's just a good way just to turn off my brain for a little bit, you know, get away from the real world. And that's always the level I kept it at. And it sounds like you basically were the same way. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I, I think part of it is just because I just don't enjoy playing online as much as playing in person. No, that, you know? that's a factor. I, I, think that's I know exactly what you mean, man. That That is definitely a factor. I mean, if there was a if there was actually a live, you know, an arcade that I could go to all the time that was local, I, I you'd probably see me more there playing and being more competitive. But grinding away online and stuff, I'm just like, eh, it's just I don't know, it's not as not as appealing to me. Let me ask you this, man. Um, again, uh, you say you're 35 years old. 
you basically saw the end of it. You saw when these uh, consoles, uh, Dreamcast specifically, PlayStation 2, they finally caught up to these machines. Uh, hardware, software finally caught up. Did you feel anything? Did you see something from your childhood just taken away from you with arcades? Uh, did you feel any kind of sadness or was this just a progression of life to you? Well, that I think that was a very interesting time because the Dreamcast is by far my favorite console of all time. And that was like the, the Christmas story moment for me. Yeah, I mean, like when that... Uh, you know, people talk about, oh, this game blew my mind. Like that, that system truly blew my mind when I put, when I got the Dreamcast and I was playing games on it. And I'm like, holy smokes, this is really an arcade at home. Like I, I was, I loved it. And I, every, I mean, the entire, what, one, two years that, that the Dreamcast was getting <laughs> games, yeah. uh, man, I just absolutely fell in love with it. But at the same time, it was interesting kind of after that me realizing that I was starting to see, you know, the decline of in the arcades and being like, oh, this is interesting. It's kind of going away, you know, like, you know, things were closing down right, or right. it wasn't progressing. So it's kind of like you get what you wanted, which was the arcade at home. But then because of that, you started seeing some of that going away. And the or the arcades kind of going away but at the same time consoles back then you know like the dreamcast yeah sure it had online but it still was pretty much designed for people to be right. in the same living room as you yeah you being know? on the and couch think that, let's, let's get yeah. together there's there's a reason why there's four controller ports right as, exactly. as much as awesome as awesome as uh fantasy star online was it was still oh, yeah. very much in this infant infamy uh infancy excuse me of exactly. online gaming, at least for consoles. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it was still just, to me, that was the peak. That was everything coming together. But then it, I definitely noticed the decline of kind of everything after that. I mean, I, I was, I, I held a grudge for a long time against the PlayStation 2. <laughs> you know, I was just like, I'm not buying that. I hate that. It killed my Dreamcast. Dude, you know? uh, don't, don't get me started, man. You and me are so alike. Yeah. The Dreamcast... I don't know. I don't know if it's 1A or 1B, the Dreamcast and the Super Nintendo. But the Dreamcast, oh, yeah. man, that, I love that console. That is still my favorite console of all time. And oh, yeah. it's, I like how you said it. It was like, it was almost like that middle road where this is basically, mm -hmm. th this machine came out. And it really was like having an arcade. I mean, by all means, it, it was a home version of the, the Naomi arcade board. Yeah, and, it was. Yeah, all these games were coming out for it, and and me and my brother, man, we enjoyed our time with that system. Especially me, who who loves fighting games more than my brother does. I mean, we're talking mm -hmm. about perfect ports of um, of you know arcade classics. I know the Saturn had them, but remember, with the Saturn, you still needed to buy that accessory. The uh, what was it? The extra memory, so that way it could oh, be yeah, uh, the arcade RAM card, perfect. Yeah. Exactly, but then the Dreamcast comes out, and it's actually kind of true. When the Dreamcast came out, I almost completely forgot about the arcade scene because now I have a console. I know that has all these shoot 'em ups, all these fighting games. I mean, I still, you know, went to arcades uh, to play some beat 'em ups with a couple of friends of mine. But we always yeah. found our we always found our way back to you know somebody's house just because the Dreamcast was there. So in yep. a weird sense, like you said. The Dreamcast, by all means, was the one that ushered in that era of arcade perfect stuff. And the arcade scene itself was, like, being pushed out because of said Dreamcast. And I love I love the yeah. system, you know, but 
I, oh, I yeah. guess it, 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 it was what it was, you know? It was eventually going to come to an end, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was It was going to come to an end, but... And screw the PS2, I mean, I would... man. I, I'm with you on oh, that. Yeah. Screw the PS2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Oh, man. But again, did, did you feel something, though? I mean, it's like, well, it, it was eventually going to happen. Did you just have that attitude for it? I think so, yeah. I think so. Uh, you were I home mean, playing Dreamcast, right? You didn't care. I was home playing Dreamcast, man. I was. I thought that was the end all be all. You know, I thought that was like, okay, I'm good. This can't get better than this. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, Dreamcast fighter? Oh, right, there's a lot to pick, right? Yeah, you know, I am a huge fan of Market the Wolves, even though I know that was more of a Neo Geo game. But I played the hell out of that on my Dreamcast. Dude, I so, played the hell out of it, but man, what an awful port! If you look back at it, now. it was. It was looking back. That's what I was gonna say. It's it's not a good port, but at the time, I loved yes. it. It's um, because we finally got a version of it at home. I know what you mean, man. Same here. Yeah. Me and my friends play the heck out of that game. I yeah. like. It was always funny to me because I heard. The loading of like the voices and everything, now, mm-hmm. you know, the characters would talk, and it's like, man, but screw this, I'm having so much fun. And then, of oh, course, yeah. how could we forget that uh, that amazing port of um, what was it, Soul Calibur Two, where basically oh, yeah. it, it's so much more better than the arcade and all the extras and everything. Oh, yeah. oh my god, I played the heck yeah. out of that game as well. Me too, Soul Calibur, man, I played a ton of that. That's true, I played a ton of Soul Calibur, and. Um, and that's, you know, the thing is, even though, and, and I loved Marvel vs. Capcom, played a, uh, or the of Marvel vs. Capcom 2, mm-hmm. played a lot of that on the Dreamcast, but I would say, man, I, some of the 3D like stuff like um, like Power Stone, man, yes, that was awesome. Yes. I played the hell out of that, too. That was so much fun. <laughs> now, you see, man, that's how an arena fighter should be done. So much fun yeah. with Power Stone. I'm like, Stone. where is Power Stone? Bring that back. Man, yeah, we need that with rollback, right? Yeah. Jesus oh. Christ, man. You're, you're, I, I love talk like this, man. I, again, I, I love the Dreamcast easily. Again, I don't know. It's uh, Super Nintendo Dreamcast, Dreamcast Super Nintendo. I don't know what oh, it yeah. is, but regardless, I, I love the system. So now yeah. that the arcade scene is gone, and like you said, you got your Dreamcast. You're playing your games on there. Do you slowly just get away from the gaming world for a bit, or did you always like? Did you always keep it at arm's length because you loved the FGC that much? What was the next phase in your life when it comes to your gaming career? Hmm. You know, I kind of, I kind of dove in hard on the PC gaming front for a while, and just kind of, and I think it was around. I don't even know what years that were. It was. I, I remember it was kind of around when the Mortal Kombat games got really. <laughs> bad in my opinion you know what i mean like it was, it was like we had gold yeah we had like UM, crap yeah it was right around like mk4 all the way through like deception or whatever the heck they were doing on, yeah, the, Deadly on the xbox Alliance. yeah all through there i think i i kind of got out of the you know any of the fighting games for the most part um i think i went much more towards the rpgs and the shooters and right uh got into pc gaming and you know what actually mortal kombat 9 pretty much brought me back into fighting games because i I i've always loved mortal kombat again once it started to go in the 3d space i was like what in the hell is this it just didn't feel right and then when i saw mk9 and i played through that and actually the story mode was amazing Yes, and then I started yes, playing online again. 
MK9 yeah. storyline was a really great remake of the original trilogy. It and was it did such really a good cool. job. I mean, it might as well have been a movie. Yeah, it was so good. And and I think that actually got me back into it. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'm back into it. Now I want to, let me see what, you know, I think it was King of Fighters 13 at the time. And then it was like right. uh, Killer Instinct, the reboot and whatnot. You know, so that, but either way, MK9 kind of brought me back, I would say. Before MK9 dropped, if, even from a casual side of things, and you love fighting games, uh, mm-hmm. what what do you think of that era of fighting games where just all these games were coming out and they were so bad? You being a casual player yourself, you love playing fighting games, and you mm-hmm. saw all these bad games. Because it wasn't just Mortal Kombat. I mean, a lot of, a lot no, of people seem to forget. Everything. Yeah, see, people seem to forget those awful 3D Street Fighter games. I mean, I didn't like them, I'm sure. I'm sure they have their yeah, audience. Yeah, I wasn't and then, a big um, fan. What was it? Uh, the Sam the Samurai Showdown 3D game was bad. Oh, it, that was awful. Yeah, it, it was a yeah. uh, uh, Mace the Dark Age, which was, which was another bad game. Um, I, I mean, we could go on and on. Yeah, it was I mean, so what, what many. did you think? Did you think they were just lost and they didn't know what the heck they were doing? Well, I mean, it, to me, it very much reminds me of when it's like everything was amazing 2D stuff with the super nintendo and then even the saturn but then when that playstation came out right in the n64 it was like everything had to be 3d doesn't matter right. what, what doesn't even matter if it fits had to be 3d and for some reason i think that's what happened to fighting games at that time it was like everything has to be now like with that tekken space right where you can move all around or like the virtual fighter space and it was like right, that right. just doesn't work for for some stuff like don't and obviously street fighter 4 kind of brought everything back yes. to center, you know, saying like, no, like we <laughs> stick to your roots uh, <laughs> to some ways. Right. I don't know. I don't really know what happened there. Honestly, I think it had to be uh, just trying to up the, le- up the gra- like graphics and stuff. I, I don't know. Or is it more along? Cause the gaming, the gaming industry is funny. You know, everybody follows oh, the leader. Yeah. You know, Tekken comes out, but Tekken was, ma- you know, was created to be 3D, so it was Virtual Fighter, right? And yeah. um, what Soul Calibur? So yeah, the- these games. I mean, listen, God bless them. They tried. That's just the way the mm-hmm. gaming industry is. But man, what a dark age! And, and oh, I guess that's why. I guess that's why you know everybody. W- what we call the FGC just stuck to what they knew was best. Third Strike, Marvel versus Capcom yeah. two. Uh, you know, Mortal Kombat had, you know, it's a uh, scene there with MK2 and um, Ultimate Mortal Kombat. And it yep. and like you said, it didn't take until Street Fighter 4 to come out. And, and um, you know, everything got revitalized. It's like everybody remembered, you know what? We know how to make good fighting games. This, yep. These last few years just has been a complete, uh, like, like a train wreck. Street Fighter 4 yep. comes out. What do you think of the game when it came out? Did you feel maybe, oh, oh. my God, finally the... The, the scene is going to be back. Finally, we got another good game from Capcom. Now, mind you, before we go on, let's not forget. A lot of people forget. Even though there were a lot of terrible Capcom games, they also did do a lot of fun games like Tech Romancer. I'm sure you played oh, that on yeah. the Dreamcast. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and sure. how could anybody forget Project Justice? You know, those are games that oh, should be brought back. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I think that it, in the beginning, that Dark Age happened pretty hard. And so then I just stopped being interested in fighting games. So I missed out. I didn't play tech romancer and all that stuff till way later. I didn't even know they existed. And even I remember when street fighter four came out and that was such a huge deal. And I remember going to GameWorks in Seattle 
and suddenly they had all these candy cabs, which they've never, you know, they never had those before. Right. Um, tons of candy cabs with Street Fighter Four, and there's tons of people playing it. And I'm, and I just remember at the time being like, "What?" Like I, you know, because I was completely, <laughs> I was completely out of fighting games at that point. I was like, "What?" They made another Street Fighter. I wasn't even paying attention. And oh, that's a good I. One too. You know, it's a dang good one, but I still didn't give it the time of day. It wasn't until, you know, later that I finally came back. Probably, I can't remember what iteration of Street Fighter 4, but I finally gave it a chance because it took a while for me to be like, no, it's probably just another crappy, you know, 3D, whatever it is, you know, because of that dark age. So I just stopped paying attention for a while. But man, once I got back into it, I love Street Fighter 4. I still, I still love Street Fighter 4. And I still think it's a lot better than five. Uh, so. you're, you're not the only one, man. Uh, mm. Everybody loves four compared to a five. But you know what? A lot of people love Third Strike compared to four. It's just you oh, know, yeah. a game for oh, a that's my generation. Favorite. Oh, of course. Street, Fi- yeah, um, Street Fighter um, Third Strike. Great yeah. game. Great game. And God bless the people who have kept it alive. Kind of like the same way with the Super Turbo crowd who have kept that game alive. You know, yeah. those people, yeah. those people right there, those are dedicated people. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Street Fighter 4 comes out, and like you said, you're back into the scene. Street Fighter 4 is interesting because it blended old school with the new school when it comes to players. You know, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure guys like Valle and Choi have told you that, oh, well, you know, it's an adjustment period. It's, it's a different mm-hmm. game, but it's still Street Fighter, right? Yeah. And, you know, what about you, man? When you first got your hands on the game, what did, what did you think? Um, you know, it's like, oh, man, I'm going to be back on the full swing. Or did you still, it's like, you know what? I'll play it as, as much as I can. I'll play it casually because I love just playing video games in general. I love the FGC. Is that, the, is that basically the attitude you took towards the game? Or were you just, like, letting it sink in that a new Street Fighter, a new Street Fighter game, a good one, finally came out before you decided to either take it more competitively or just, you know, keep it at the level that you're playing it at. You know, what's kind of interesting about that is, is I remember uh, Street Fighter 4 being also the first time, like the first game where I got an arcade stick. Like I liked the game, but then once I got an arcade stick and I started to play it at home, I was like, it, it was like a... It's like a flashback moment for me, like, right? It was like, oh man, okay, now I remember why I like fighting games. And <laughs> I and I don't know why that is, you know, like I don't know. Like it's it's just I had to have the arcade stick and I had to have a fighting game that was actually good again. I don't know. Like it, I think that was it. Just because, you know, I is hadn't gone because, to arcades either before. Is it because that era that Street Fighter Four ushered in? It was the closest thing that we're going to ever get again to the arcade scene where you said it yourself. Some places had candy cabs. There were places here in New York City that they had their own uh, Street Fighter 4 arcade machines. And uh, I'm sure those people paid, uh, you know, a pretty penny just to get those boards over here because I believe they never left Japan. There was no official release in America, at least the arcade cabinets. But do you think that's what it was? The fact that. Street Fighter 4, like I said earlier, 
it combined the best of the old world OGs yeah. with the new players, yeah. and everybody just came together. Uh, let me ask it to yeah. you this way. When Street Fighter Four came out, and you, you're very well aware of the California scene, the competitive scene, did you mm-hmm. go, when Street Fighter Four came out, did you go to any offline events, you know, of, of, uh, of what we call majors, or did you only stick to locals? No, I, yeah, I never really went to anything too serious. Honestly, I mainly just went to GameWorks because that's the only place I, I knew where there was quite a lot of cabs. And, you know, there was never anything major organized there, at least to my knowledge. But so, and so I so still it kept was it basically it was basically the fact that it felt like the arcade scene to you. Yeah, I mean, that was I, I will never forget the smile on my face going in there and like winter stays and like getting to face off against people, you know, and then looking down the row left and right. And there's just other people playing against each other. I mean, again, it was like a flashback moment of when I was playing Samurai Showdown 2 or something. But I think that's the thing about Street Fighter 2. It just, it had the the 2D plane, at least, and just much more, res- everything just felt responsive. Whereas that dark period with a lot of those 3D fighters, just everything just, it just didn't feel like that. It just, it didn't have that like control. And and maybe, I don't know, I, I've never been a Tekken guy. Right. Uh, and and I've never really, I've never really been a Tekken or a Virtua Fighter guy. So maybe that makes sense i don't know i was always well, more you into the 2D them as franchises yeah absolutely could you put it into words um exactly for for some of the people who are listening on to this who will never have the chance to play at an arcade outside of like a family a family fun center like here mm-hmm. in um nearby in new jersey we have a lot of uh, places called yestercades uh, it's mm-hmm. basically a free-to-play arcade arcade slash you know fun center and they do Mm -hmm. the best job as possible but it's not the authentic arcade feel could you put Mm -hmm. it into words as somebody who was there you know what it was like going into an arcade what it was like hey winter stays you know all those feelings again like you get what i'm saying like how how would you put it into your own words well i would say that a lot of times people put the the two words of nervous and excited or even like fear and excitement. And they say that all those words are kind of basically come from the same emotion, right. you know, in the, in the, for a human. And I kind of think about the same thing when it comes to sports, you know, it's like, okay, it's my chance to bat, you know, and you're super nervous, you're super excited, just like in baseball. I played a lot of baseball growing up and it's the same kind of feeling to me, uh, like in an arcade, because you have like a crowd of people around and you know it's like your turn right to face off against somebody to show your stuff and you get you're really nervous like i said but you're also really excited you're a little scared i mean sure if you're like a veteran you're just destroying people then you're probably not too nervous but in my (laughs) case you know or if you're you know somebody like me you're nervous but even if you if you lose, it's st- it was still such a fun time because you you gave it your all. But especially if you win, you just feel like a million bucks. And to have that crowd around you, it's just such a different experience. It's like you just hit a home run, you know. Yeah, it's like um, a different world. It is. It's a completely different world. And I mean, again, it's like the reason why people love to go to gatherings and parties. It's like mixing the, your two favorite things. You know, you get to hang out with people of similar interest and everything. 
and and actually get to play and compete with those people versus you know you think about playing online you're not with anybody you're only doing one thing so that that's why i think it's just the perfect mix and it's honestly the reason why i have an arcade here in my office Sweet. that i have a, like uh, and i have a bunch of different cabs and my favorite thing hands down to do is to invite a bunch of friends over and just play on the arcades it's my absolute my favorite thing you say you love the fgc you know obviously from uh arms arms length and you mm -hmm. just said yourself you love you love inviting a lot of friends over you have arcade machines at your offices what do you mm -hmm. think of the fgc um I have mixed feelings about the FGC because I think that I would like to see the FGC be a lot more welcoming to newbies and uh, new players. I think sometimes right. it can be a little more, a little too elite-ish. And I would like to see it not be that way or, you know, be a little more welcoming to new players not just for the sake of bringing more people into the community, but also just to just, just expand the genre in general. I mean, I think that has happened naturally and therefore we've gotten better games from it. I think, uh, you know, you think about Street Fighter four and then how that's gone to almost like a new golden age, I'd say, right. of fighting games. And a lot of times the FGC attacks certain games, right? For like being like, oh, it's too new, newbie friendly and stuff like that. But I, I, I don't know. I, I'm also like, yeah, but if it brings more people into the genre, we're going to get more games. We're going to get better games. We're going to get, the list goes on. And I, so, you know, I think and even a, in, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I think a perfect no, okay. example of that is uh, Snake Eyes, the player. When mm -hmm. he won HD Remix, and HD Remix is an interesting game. I personally love it. It's a great mm -hmm. game. It was uh, well thought out. Unfortunately, Capcom, if you ever read anything that David Serlin has said, um, you know, unfortunately, Capcom sort of rushed the project. But mm -hmm. one of the things that you said is to be more welcoming to newbies is uh, a lot of the OG Street, um, Super Turbo heads look down on the game because Snake Eyes won EVO. And it's just like, well, you're mm -hmm. diminishing the fact that, you know, he put in the work. He's a great yeah. player. Just because you think the game is easy, you're turning your back on a lot of potential players, a lot of potential people who right. want to pick up a fighting game. And, that you know, yeah. that's the most perfect example uh, of that yeah. attitude that you says, uh, you know, it's a problem within the community. Oh, I, I think it's, yeah. And I, I don't really know how to solve that particularly, but... Yeah, I mean that's otherwise. I mean, I think it's an it's an amazing community. I just like to see more of that. But is but is there solving it? I mean, we we've gone now I don't for know. Quite, yeah. It, it's it's tough, isn't it? It's like it's almost yeah. like it's par for the course that a lot of that is going to happen. Now I know a lot of people yeah. say, "Well, where everybody's welcoming, uh, we don't know what anybody's talking about." But I've always thought, and this is just my opinion, it, it yes, yeah, certain pockets of the FGC are very welcoming others yeah. not so much right oh that's that's very true no it is but I, I think it, it is growing it's very I do unfortunate. think it's growing. I, I I do think it is getting better though I I in I do think it is getting better uh for in, in a lot of ways and I don't know if that's just because maybe there's more games um coming out but 
Well, I, I think a good example is just meeting a lot of, you know, obviously now I'm 35. So I'm, a lot of my friends are having, you know, having kids and a lot of those kids are playing games and whatnot. And like, I don't know any of them, any of those kids that actually play fighting games, none, maybe like a smash brothers, but you know, and, and to me, like, uh, that's where I'm like, the, well, not playing the Nickelodeon yeah. game. Yeah. Well, well, that's a good point. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but like not the not the fighters and i'm like does that mean that i i don't know i guess I, I would have to see a breakdown of what are the age demographics that say play street fighter 5 or guilty gear etc i don't know but i would love to see a way in which brings on some of the new young players onto those games when did you first hear about mostics oh mostics <sighs> I think, let me think about that because. And for people who uh, don't know very, very well much ab about the history of that small little company, a gentleman and his wife, I believe his name was uh, Theo, uh, how do you pronounce Tao. his last name? Tao. Yeah. Oh, Tao. I'm, I'm sorry. Yep. Jesus Christ. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, he's the one who actually came up with the idea of mimicking um, the old American style arcade sticks like. Like Jonathan said, it was bat top, hap sticks, just uh, you know, the stuff we grew up in here on this on this side of the world. And uh, he found a way to basically miniature. Uh, I'm saying the word wrong. Excuse me. <laughs> basically, found a way to put it in a case and sell it out of his garage. You know, it's uh, if I remember correctly, it was literally one of those things where you get a hold of his number. Hey, uh, yep. hey, uh, Tal, you mind making me a sticker? It's like, yeah, sure, no problem. It wasn't like a big, uh, you know, company or anything. But when those no. things came out, it, it was a game changer. So again, like, when did you start getting word from them? Or better yet, when's the first time you saw a Mostic and how awesome? I remember, I remember seeing the Mostics, but I never actually owned them. One because I didn't know where to get them. Because that's another right. thing. It's like. When people, you know, even Alex Valle talks about it and, uh, and, and Sean Choi being like, you would just see one pop up like at a tournament and you'd be like, whoa, what is that? Oh, this is a Mostic. Or where'd you get it? <laughs> I don't know. I just paid this guy and showed up at his house, gave him cash and he gave me my stick. Right. You right. know, so, I, you know, so it wasn't like, oh, I'll just go online and order it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like that. So I saw them, but I didn't know how to get them or and also I just didn't have a lot of money at the time, but it, it still stuck in my mind. And then later on, I remember getting one. I don't remember. I want to say it was like a PS2. The first one I ever got was like a PS2 Dreamcast dual mod or something, which by the way, I right. think he was like the first person to ever dual mod anything. It would not knowledge. surprise me, man. That guy, you know, yeah. he, he was a genius when it came to He that was stuff. a freaking genius. And I was like, dual mod, what is it? What does that even mean at the time? It was, it was just amazing. So, yeah, got that. Thought it, was, thought it was so cool, and that's and and it was just the stick, you know, that I had that I that I loved for however long. And then way later, when I actually started Scanline City a few years ago, uh, that's when I kind of. I guess a little bit before that, even I was collecting arcade sticks. So naturally I started collecting <laughs> some moss sticks. Right. Um, then I started Scaline city going over all these different arcade sticks, right. but then I ended up meeting up with, um, 
with Vin, who's the owner of Arcade Shock, who was good friends with Tao, who also they you know they sold Moss sticks together later yes, yes, on, they which did, I didn't yeah. I didn't know about. Yeah, that's a, that's another and, great website, man. I love Arcade Shock. I oh, got, me too. I, I got a lot of MVS cartridges from them, man. Um, oh yeah, I couldn't. When I couldn't like really afford to import them, somebody told me about yeah. Arcade Shock, and I got some great games from them. You know when they're available, oh. like Sengoku Three on the Neo Geo. Oh yeah. Just, just the fact that somebody was actually selling Neo Geo stuff oh, yeah. like that, it's like I know. And I ain't gonna lie, I paid a pretty penny for them, but you know what? It sure. was Worth it. Oh yeah, Arcade Shock. I I I love. Uh, they're awesome. Love them. Buy all my stuff from them. I want to see them sell more stuff, and I'm always pestering Ven about it. I'm like, you need to sell this, you should sell this, you should sell this. <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is, business. But yeah, so then I met with Ven, and then he introduced me to Tao, and I obviously, and I was actually so fascinated about Tao's story because, you know, what I am in a, my, my true profession is I'm a film director, so I, okay. I love to tell stories. And when I, it was like a merging of, of, of two different things that I love. One, the story of Tao and how he created Mostix and, you know, th that story mixed with obviously what I love, which is video games and fighting games and um, arcade sticks. So I was working with Ven to actually make a film about Tao. And that's really how things got started. I was never even, I was planning on trying to get Tao to reignite the Moss brand and for us to do a film on it. Well, obviously Tao passed away and basically I decided to pick up the torch. Um, Let me ask you this, and, cause obviously you may have had a better relationship with him or you got to know him a heck of a lot more than mm -hmm. I did. But what was his background exactly? Did he ever tell you why he just decided to start making these things? Why he started making these arcade sticks? Was he big into the arcade scene? Was he a big video gamer? Uh, what, he was what a was big his video story? gamer, yeah. He was definitely a big video gamer, but I don't think he was necessarily a big fighting game player. I think he found a need. I mean, you know, somebody could correct me because a lot, I, I, but I know that he was like his favorite game was Zelda on the NES. Okay. You know, like he was, that was like his, his favorite thing. And in fact, well, the last conversation I had with him, he showed me this like early NES cart that he made out of a Zelda uh, cart and it had all these dip wow. switches built into the cart. And it was so that he could play all these different games. And I'm like, wow, you were <laughs> you were making multi carts before that was even in existence. And he just made it for himself, you know, way back when he was like a mad scientist. Like he would just do all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, was and, the original Moss stick, if you know, was it originally like an um, uh, uh, arcade fighter layout? Or did he make ones only like with like two or three buttons to mimic older arcade machines? Because... You know, a, a lot of people seem to forget not every arcade machine came out with six buttons, three on right. top, three at the bottom. Was that the case or or did he always build them, you know, um, with six buttons? No, he pretty much always built them with six buttons, um, to my knowledge, or at least what, what he's told me. Because people wanted, it really started from people wanting arcade sticks. People like John Choi, Alex Valle, you know, it was like, I, I want to play these fighting games, but I'm used to playing in the arcade. So... And and Tao told me he literally went to to see these arcades, a Street Fighter Two cab, for example, and then like okay. measure it all out, look at all the materials, everything, research it more or less, and then go home and 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 build it. 
And that's really how it started. He wanted to try to make it as close to an exact replica, which is why all the lines look like it's straight off of the front of an arcade cab. Right. Um, because that's exactly what he, what he pulled it from. But yeah, they were all six buttons. I mean, he made some different variations, kind of off the wall stuff, uh, that would be less buttons, but still, even, even that was still like the Neo Geo and stuff like that. Did he know, um, how much everybody loved his products or was he just always like, Hey, you know what? I make them because people ask for them. Did he ever care about the fame or, you know, what did he ever always? He always cared about the craft and I can relate to, to, and the reason why I think I have a little bit of a, you know, in my conversations with Tao, I, I can definitely relate to him. I, I'm a creative guy. I, you know, I put my craft out there all the time as a filmmaker and you, you do it because you, you love it and you love what you make, but you do have to kind of get hardened skin after a while, right? You have to get tough skin because no matter what you do, somebody's going to hate it. Somebody's yes. going to say it sucks. Somebody's going to say whatever. And uh, especially I in think, this day of communication where it's easy oh, for anybody yeah. to make a Twitter anybody. account just to say, oh, hey, so you know true. what? You freaking suck. I don't like you. Yeah. And mind you, that's yeah. one person out of a million is like, I'm okay. Exactly. Man. So if you think about it, when he first was making those small sticks, I think he was receiving a lot of praise and he loved his product because he does. He doesn't. He ne- definitely never cared about the fame. Definitely never, never really cared about what he was doing it to try to get money. I think that was another thing and helping out his kids and whatnot, getting them going to school and all that stuff, which is why you have the, the two different symbols of, I think it's the, like the Pegasus or whatever. Yeah. Or but, unit, yeah. I know what, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, for it's his like, kids. It's usually put it like at the bottom, bottom right of yeah. the sticks, I believe. Yeah, exactly. But the, really, he cared about the craft, and he was getting a lot of praise. But I think once some of the Japanese sticks were coming out, and people were saying, "Oh, these are so much better! Like these are so much better than the Moss stick. Oh, it's no good compared to these sticks." I think he found it really hard to take that criticism. And by the way, on I get the record, it, you know? for the record, no, they're not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yo, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, and I think that's why they do need to come back. Because a lot of people would disagree with that. And a lot of times, it's it's just what you like to play on. Yes. And I like to play. That's what I like to play on. Uh, uh, and, trust uh, me, man. I know what you mean. I, I tried so hard to um, play on the Japanese stuff. And mm-hmm. it, it's just so sensitive. I, I know. I, I don't like that. I can't yeah. deal with that. You know, I grew up. And I know people are going to be like, oh, you just grew up smashing hard on machines. Like, <laughs> no, no, not really, man. Yeah, maybe when I was six or eight years old. But by the time you get to be like, you know, 16, 15, and you Mm -hmm. get the way things work, yeah, Mm -hmm. nobody was smashing on anything. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, 100%. Exactly. It's just people have this weird perception of the Mastic. It's like, oh, they make them because people love smashing on them. I bet you they break. First of all, no, they don't break. They last a very long time. But that's just people in general. They love to assume things, right? Right. And, and it's funny though, because I know that he would he took some of that criticism hard, and my reaction would be like, "Screw that, man! Who cares?" You know. But I think it was hard for him to want to come back from that. Um, you know what, man? Yeah. That's tough to do. Uh, I know some people they like to be rock hard about things, and um, very passionate about the work that they do. 
but it just seems that no matter what, like we said, it might be one person out of a million who's just that one jerk who comes out and purposely just craps on whatever it is that you do. But for whatever reason, right. those are the, those are the comments everybody likes to zero in yep. on. These are the comments that, oh, you see, the this one person. But it's like you can't live life like that. I'm sure there's a lot of people no. who don't like me doing this podcast. I'm sure there's a lot of people who's like, oh, you know what? This guy is not as knowledgeable about the FGC as some other. So why does he have a podcast? But then again, anybody who knows me, I tend to just ignore any stupidity going on on social media. But then again, I'm not on social media that much to begin with. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. It, but but it is tough. It honestly really is tough, man. Yeah. Oh, I think, and like you said, I think it's even tougher nowadays than ever because any you know. Because people who create content, you have to rely on these platforms, and those platforms are so easy to make comments. It b- blows my mind, even having the smaller YouTube channel that I even have now. Sometimes I'll get like a comment, and I just think to myself, and I go, like, why would you ever take the time to write that comment? Like, why would you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, heck, I even find it, I find it hard. I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I've, 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 I have ever even like disliked a video. Like it, it would, it takes a lot for me to even want to like dislike a video. Dude, I'm you know? telling you, man, you're just like me. <laughs> I go to the videos I watch. Please uh, like and subscribe. I'm like, yeah. By the time that happens, I'm I already xed out and I'm going to the next video. Yeah. It, 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 but listen, some some people, you know, they they love that kind of stuff. Me, man, I'm just let me find the video. Let me like, you know, let me watch it. Let me enjoy myself. Yeah. I don't need the extracurricular activities of liking and subscribing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Sure. But, yeah. uh, you, you know, unfortunate um, for uh, the community, him and his wife lost their lives in a very tragic accident. Um, yeah. I'm sure you say you spend a lot of time talking to him. I'm sure you heard yeah. a, a lot of stories from a lot of people who had a chance to be, um, you know, to meet him and uh, spend mm-hmm. some time with him. So... How did your company come across uh, the idea of basically continuing on the legacy of Moss? Because if I remember correctly, you guys are very close to launching a new um the new line of Moss sticks, correct? Yes, that's correct. We, I came across it. I mean, I gotta give a lot of thanks to Vin at our at Arcade Shock because he's the one who kind of said, you know what, you should make the Moss stick, and I'm like, oh man, really? He's like, yeah, I think you should. And I was like, okay. And because I, I was, because I was like, I, I was like, really me? Like you really think, but that initial know, hesitation, right? Yeah. A little hesitation there um, because I wanted to be really careful about, you know, everybody, you know, anytime you're picking up somebody else's work, you want to be careful about it. Cause I'm like, this isn't me. This is, this is his. And I'm going to do my, I'm going to do the best I damn well can to, to do what I think he would have loved. And of course, somebody's going to say something. It should have done this. He should have done that. But either way, yeah, Vin's the one who really got me saying, you know, to, to have Scanline create it. Obviously, I have all the machines and everything and able to create enough of them to create them on demand, to make them really high quality. Um, I mean, you name it, we have it in terms of uh, machinery. So we just started with that. And I mean, we're, we've done so many drafts and I'm also been, I've also been working in close contact with the Moss, uh, like the Moss group on discord, like the official Moss discord group. And 
So they've been constantly giving me feedback and I've been bouncing ideas off them and, and trying to create the perfect stick and trying to get everybody's needs in there. Obviously you can only do so much when it comes to cost and time and, you know, somebody wants this and that is a direct contradiction to somebody who wants that. But I will say. By all means, you're, uh, you're being very careful with this. Like you said, uh, this was a Tao's creation um, a lot of people, you know, he, he has legendary status within the community. Uh, those mm-hmm. sticks were very legendary. Uh, they still are. And um, they're very iconic. They're one of the icons yes. of the FGC. So when uh, Vin from Shock told you, of course, there's going to be hesitation. It's like, well, how can I live up to, uh, you know, this man's work? You know, he uh, mm-hmm. was it his life's work. Of course not. But it was his life, his, his life's work for the FGC. You know, that's what a lot right. of people knew him by. So obviously, right. you you know, you want to be very careful with this. You want to be very delicate. You're getting all the right feedback because, like you said, you want to make sure that, you know, this is a, a labor of love. You you don't want right. to make sure nothing, um, you know, messes up. And I, I could imagine uh, the amount of stress you're going through uh, with this project. You know, looking back on it, I, I actually now I feel very confident about it because... And I think Vin was right uh, for us to do it because I'm not, I'm certainly not in this for the money by, by any means, you know, I have my, my job that is my, my, my number one passion. And so making the Mostic, for example, all I really care about is the craft. I'm not, and that's all I'm thinking about first and foremost. And right, that's very right. much what, what Tao would have wanted too. like, what is going to make the product the best? We'll worry about the other stuff later, but what is going to make the product the best? And for example, like we use our digitizer so that everything is exactly the same as like the original Moss sticks. And the only thing I do are thing the only things I've done uh, different are things that that Tao wanted to do, but wasn't capable of doing because of tools or materials or cost or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's also why we're going to actually have two different versions. We're going to have the classic version which is more or less what you know as being the mostic of old um with a few a few things that we've um made a little bit better like updated internals i'm assuming uh well yeah i've definitely updated internals and that's going to have all different options but just in terms of strength like better art material uh, we're using like dowel pens instead of staples you know, so, and we're using like ins, like threaded inserts instead of screwing in and out of the wood all the time. So they're going to be much more durable, better quality artwork, you know, you name it. It's just going to be pretty much bomb proof. But at the same time for that classic, it is still going to be exactly what you would expect as a moss stick. What just about brand the new, new one? What about the new version? Now the, now the Neo version is the one of the, the very last conversation I had with Tao was him talking to me about how he would have loved to make what he would call quote unquote like the ultimate arcade stick without having any compromises because he was always worried about cost and whatnot right and so i took that conversation and did the best of my ability to make what i consider to be like the ultimate moss stick and what he wanted to do so what that basically is is a moss body as you would expect but the difference is it's going to have a, it has a solid, like a steel top plate. It's like 16 gauge steel. 
Wow. And and then it has a, the, the like kind of a modified Moss logo engraved on it. And then where the joystick is, it's going to have you can customize also like your your engraving around the joystick and the buttons. And it's going to accept both Japanese and American style buttons and Japanese wow. and American style joysticks. And you'll use different spacer sizes to get the joysticks of whichever you want to do to the exact right height. And I'm a huge stickler about all that kind of stuff. So basically, whether you want to use Japanese parts or American style parts, you can get them exactly the way you wanted to have them on this Moss Neo. Plus, we're going to offer like the traditional, you know, straight across layout, but you can do like a Vulix layout. You can do a Noir layout, Sega two player. Heck, we're even going to offer a like traditional Mortal Kombat style uh, layout. And the good thing is it's all interchangeable. So basically, let's just say you buy a Moss Neo and you have it and you want, you have a Vulix layout, right? And you maybe even bought the Vulix layout with a, with a 28 uh, millimeter plexi. Cause wow. that's the, that's one of the things that you can do is that all the steel plates will be cut for 30 millimeters, but the plexi that you were to buy will be, if you want to use American style buttons would be 28. So that would go over the top of it so that when you drop in your American style buttons, they'll be lined up perfectly. So you're not trying to fit it in like a, you know, move them around in a 30 millimeter hole. So basically the, and another thing is that because it has the plexi, you can put art over it if you want, even though I think the steel looks amazing. And that's got a steel bottom that's engraved with inserts. I mean, the thing is heavy. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it is going to be, I'm the first one to look at my work and be like, I hate this, you know, but when I, when I have the, uh, when I had the recent, the kind of our more or less our last version, and hopefully we're going to do a video on it soon of the Moss Neo, I put it in my lap with the Sega two player layout and my American style bat top with, with American style buttons, like everything you'd want, right. To your liking. And I put it in my lap and I was playing and I was like, yep, this is my favorite stick I've ever had. Hands down. And I was so, like, all right, now so it's ready man, to sell. You guys are basically building, like you said, the ultimate arcade stick. You're you're hitting you're hitting on everything. If you like the Japanese everything. stuff, it you're gonna be able to mod it for. If you like the American stuff, mm -hmm. if you want to mix it up, it, it's gonna yep. be able to, man. It, it sounds freaking awesome, man. And you said it. You don't. You're the first one to always criticize your work, but it sounds like you finally. You, you finally got to a point now where you said, this is perfect. This is exactly yep. what I want, and I'm sure everybody's going to love it. Scanline, oh, yeah. let me ask you this, man. Scanline City, let's move on to this part of your uh, gaming mm -hmm. career. How did Scanline City come about? Oh, you know, I think it came about because I've become obsessed with retro gaming. That's for one. Uh -oh. uh, I became, oh yeah, I just, I just love it. But you know what? My job gets really stressful sometimes. And when I can just go around and even just be around my collection of stuff, of nostalgia, it just makes me so happy. And that includes, you know, playing all my arcades or fighting games or whatever. But I think that I got really heavy into collecting, starting with the Dreamcast. I was like, oh, I love, I love the Dreamcast. Let me get all the games and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> And then it moved on to all these other consoles and then moved on to arcades collecting and then PCBs. How many, and How big is your collection? How many uh, video games do you have? Oh, you know, I used to be a big game collector, but I actually ended up selling most of the games. And now I only, I only hang on to 
games that I either really love or mean something to me. I'm much, much more of a hardware collector. Other than, you know, I do collect a lot of PCBs. I probably have about 60 PCBs. And mm -hmm. I have a lot of games too, but I'm much more into like, you know, modifying to have the, the best, like a perfect Dreamcast or a perfect Sega Genesis or getting, you know, a certain arcade cab and restoring it, you know, but everything has to mean something to me. Like I bought a House of the Dead cab recently and restored it because that was the one game that I always remembered playing, you know, playing with my dad all the time. It was like the only game he loved to play. So uh, House of the Dead and that awful voice acting, but it was so, oh, it's so, so iconic, good. Isn't it's it, man? so iconic. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> Is that, Absolutely. Is, you know, I found your channel just by happenstance. I just it was just, mm -hmm. you know, looking around. And mm -hmm. I, I, first of all, I love your channel. Guys, if you get a chance, go to Scanline City on YouTube. Does it have a lot of videos? No, but the quality that you were able to produce is amazing. And now that I think about it, because you say you're more of a hardware guy, that's why... Mm -hmm. Those videos that you make, it's mainly reviewing said hardware, reviewing, hey, um, if you could get the Green Goblin for the Dreamcast, this is how you mod right. it. If, uh, especially, of course, you know, the Mostic, that video you did on the Mostic was amazing. In fact, you know what? It's just not the Mostic. All those videos you make, you seem to, mm -hmm. you know, you seem to, you seem to want more quality than you do quantity, correct? Oh, 100%. I mean, that's just the way I am with, with everything, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I just can't release something unless I think it's up to my standard. I just can't do it. Even though I, you know, the algorithms want you to release, you know, two a week. And you even see a lot of YouTube channels, a lot of YouTube channels that I would say in the past were probably putting out better content, but they weren't putting them out as frequently. And trust me, I want to put out more frequently than I do now. But some of these, like now when they say, oh, we're going to release two a week, I'm almost like, I don't need two a week. Why don't you just make a really good one right. once every two weeks, even, you know, instead of just, I don't know. Because, like, how, how do you release two videos, honestly, a week and make them quality? I really don't know. I really don't. Maybe one, if that's your full-time job. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. I guess well, it depends it on what you like, though, because I think about some channels I love, and I don't even, I don't want them to be, uh, uh, like high quality produced and I, it just depends on what what they do well right it's just not what i do well well i guess everybody loves the youtube money man everybody trying to be a youtube star but that's mm -hmm. again that's why i sort of appreciate your channel man it's uh, uh the the videos um are usually like 15 16 minutes in length but again you do such a great job of explaining everything nice and concise you know music isn't overbearing like some other channels mm -hmm. and, and and your stuff is just again of high quality and that and that says something because like you said some people they they love rushing things out without stopping mm -hmm. and saying you know it's uh is this is this good enough do i have the right lighting and it seems like mm -hmm. would, would you say it's an ocd of yours that you want everything to be perfect oh, big time Big time. But at the same time, honestly, I'm not looking, I don't, I'm not trying to make YouTube my full-time job. I would love it if I could get it to the point where I could just pay somebody to edit the videos, you know, for me. But really all I care about is put, you know, 20 years from now, looking back at these videos and saying like, oh yeah, those are great. Like I, I, I love them. Like they're great. They, they totally serve the community. 
your main um, your main gig is uh, your film studio. What kind of what mm-hmm. kind of films do you have you worked on? Are you mainly a documentary writer, or or do you do any all kinds of stuff? Oh, we do all kinds of stuff, and I mean, I I made a a documentary, a feature documentary that went to Amazon uh, about a year ago, and then, but mainly it's um, a lot of commercials, uh, films too, but film like actual narrative movie films have been tough since covid so still imagine. commercials and stuff are my bread and butter in fact next week i'm shooting a bunch of commercials for wd-40 so um <laughs> you know you, you never know what you're gonna do and it's you, you know one minute i could be shooting a you know a shampoo commercial the next minute i'm shooting a baja race you know with off-road trucks and the next minute i'm i don't know somebody welding you never know <laughs> So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, by all yeah. means, like you said, uh, it sounds uh, well, especially with COVID. I, I know a few people in the film industry, and yes, it's uh, it's very hard. This whole stuff has ravished everybody. But yeah. like like you said, video games are your escape. Do you yep. think video games are going to be part of your life forever, or do you see yourself maybe sometime down the line, where the FGC is no longer there for you, where or or where you actually say, yeah, it's time to get rid of all these machines and just move on. Or again, never. They're just gonna be there for <laughs> you 100%, right? It's gonna be there, be there till the end of time. I think so. Yeah, I, I do. And I just hope to get more and more involved in it. And and um, I don't know. Like I, I have, I have. I'm such an idea guy. I always have crazy ideas. But um, I mean, who knows? I, I'd love to see. Uh, you know, what I'm really good at in terms of filmmaking overlap with the FGC even more. You know, I still, and I don't know, necess- I, I kind of have an idea of how I would do it. I still want to make like a, at least like a short film or something um, about Tao and the Moss Sticks, um, whether it's like a docu-style or something. I mean, I'm always, I'm always thinking of something creative, so you, you never know, but I'd love to see more crossover um, as time goes on. Outside of that idea, do you have any other, um, you know, dreams of making maybe a documentary about the California scene, the New York scene, anything else related to FGC outside of Tao and him and his uh, legacy? Yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely have. Um, I've, I've even pursued that, and the the tricky part about that is that to do a good documentary about that, you know, you you do need some archival footage. Um, The problem is there, a lot of that is owned by certain people and some of those people don't want to give it up or don't want you to use it. (laughs) And I wish they would, but you know, and I'm still working on that. And the, the sad thing is that some of the people that own that material, some of the really good material, uh, was intended for certain projects and those projects are just dormant and you know who knows it may be by scanline city becoming bigger and bigger maybe some of those people will hand over that material and say okay cool like we'd totally love for you to do um, a documentary on this scene because trust me i want to do it but i i do think you need some of that original content well, you, you kind of do. If you want to do an overall huge documentary series of this scene, uh, you know, there's there's stuff going back as you know as early as I believe 1992, 1993. Oh yeah, where, where you see some of these guys, uh, 
you know, guys like Valle, guys like Justin Wong, a lot of, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of the people here in this, on, on this coast as well, when they were kids and, um, you know, mind you, they're not, they're not like old, old men. These, you know, nowadays they're still yeah. around our age, but they lived the last 20, 30 years. This has been part of their lives way more than it has yep. in our lives, you know? So it, mm-hmm. it would be awesome, but you know, I, since you're a filmmaker, I've always I've always wanted to ask this. I mean, is that is that true? So many ideas just get left out in the ether, never to see the light of day, because all of the time. Uh, all the time, all because of people holding licenses to um, things that you know that would be uh, integral to to projects and stuff. All the time, all the time. I mean, like. Just me, who's one director with, say, one company, right? I'm always coming up with new ideas or pitching shows or whatever I'm doing. I would say, like, every year, just when one year, I would say probably five to ten, I end uh, like awesome ideas. I end up having to ditch because you end up at a roadblock where somebody won't give you the rights to this or you don't have the footage to this or. They maybe will, but they want too much money and you can't justify that. And it, and then it gets even more complicated because is somebody investing in it and they want to know, you know, or that's too far past the budget. It just gets really messy and it's really frustrating when it is projects that, come on, people, we're not making Avatar 2 here, but uh, it's just kind of the way it goes, the way the business goes. Since you're, since you know, you're very well aware of the FGC and you're a director yourself, you're a producer. How would you have handled, um, uh, what was it, the Street Fighter Cross Tekken TV show they had there for a while, the reality TV show? Uh, what the heck was oh, that man. called? Um, was it called Cross Counter TV? or? Oh, yeah. What was that called? I don't know. I thought that I honestly didn't follow that much because I was like, what in the hell is going on? What is this? Well, you're very well aware of everything that went down with it. It was a cute idea. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Because yeah. Uh, let's not forget, man, even though we were entrenched in the FGC, video gaming in general during that time was like an at an all-time high. Everybody, you know, it's it, like the whole world was being overtaken by video games. Not that that's a bad yep. thing, but yeah. from what you know, the little bit of it that you know, like how would you have handled it differently as a producer? Oof. Um... Or is that a subject you don't even want to you don't even want to try I, to talk? Honestly, I don't even know if I would have a right. I don't even know if I would have an answer to that because it just get it just gets so complicated behind the lines, like especially from a director standpoint, because you never know. I mean, there there there's been things that uh, where people have criticized uh me for some of my quote unquote decisions when it actually wasn't my decision you know it was somebody else telling me that i needed to do this or the studio saying this or what you know so many different things and so i think that's where it's really hard to 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 say what people or what they should do um without knowing all the nitty-gritty details um inside of it that's where i'm like ugh, i don't know i don't know what i would really even say <laughs> by the way the name of the show i find out is cross assault cross assault okay oh man now that i think about it there were a whole bunch of other stuff uh remember um fgc tv or the fgc house whatever the heck it was called with some of the west yeah, coast that's guys right. 
Oh my yeah. god. So 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 much fun things during that era, but at the same time a lot of a lot of weird goofy stuff, right? Yeah, and I will say I am I I don't have it figured out, but I am taking some of, you know, some of those things and 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 kind of analyzing, I'm trying to learn from it because I know I I'm pretty sure that like Vin from Arcade Shock and and is thinking probably you know, saying, thinking along with me, being like, you know, there's something cool we can do. I'm just not exactly sure what it is yet. Hold on, oh, my bad. The, the microphone went a little bit dead there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, listen, Jonathan, man, I want to say thank you very much for uh, coming on and uh, spending some time with us. Before we let you go, man, where can people reach out to you? What are your social media outlets, you know, website? Uh, let let, right. let our listening audience, uh, you know, um, know how how they could get a hold of you well definitely check out the youtube channel scanline city i mean that's for for pretty much everything including moss updates and i'm always getting messages from people saying you know when when is this being released you know trust me i i am going to release big updates you're not going to miss out on anything as long as you're paying attention to the youtube um so scanline city youtube uh i am pretty active on instagram uh, so check out the Scanline City Instagram. Um, and lastly, there's the Scanline City website, which we will be selling the Moss sticks through. And we're also currently selling the PCB board covers for uh, numerous different arcade games on there. So you yeah, can check man, out those, some those of are, Those are freaking awesome, man. I, I love the Teenage yeah. Ninja Turtles one. You know, oh, yeah. Those, those things are beyond awesome, man. I, I Guys, yeah. I really suggest it, to go check them out. Uh, you know, hopefully you get some buyers on there because those things are freaking... They, they, again, words can't describe how awesome they are. They're just beautiful to look at, you know? Yeah, for sure. So check out that website, too. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to interact with people. So, yeah, and... Any of, the, any of you people who want the moss, like, it's coming. <laughs> it's right. coming. Listen, man, all, all us Moss players, keep a lookout for it. And you know what? Even even if you're not going to get a Moss, guys, go on over to the Scanline, um, to the Scanline City YouTube page. You will learn something. It's great, quali- uh, it's great quality videos, especially on arcade sticks. It, it, it really is awesome. You know, Jonathan did a really great job putting all that stuff together. Are you going to get videos like every two or three days like some like some other YouTubers do? No, Jonathan himself said it. All you're going to get there is just great quality history of the uh, by all means of the arcade scene and uh, post arcade scene. It's really great. Um, check them out. But uh, once again, guys, um, this is KPB Raphael. This was Jonathan Thompson, um, the CEO, the owner of uh, Scanline City. Go check out his website. Guys, please check out the podcast on all your favorite podcast outlets. Just um, search up KPB Cast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. And take a listen, man. So uh, once again, guys, have yourself a good evening. Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, man. Thanks a lot, guys. And that was a lot of fun. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production.